Right? I've been warned that I wander. So for those of you at home, I have, I think, from the flower to the flower, so maybe I'll need some cues if I get close. Um, I, I do apologize for that. Um, a lot of times our sermons um, are so heavy on theory right, that um, they don't fit the real world. They almost become too... Uh, in some cases, they become too complex. We, we throw all sorts of with theory in it. And, uh, and, then, and then sometimes it's almost the opposite where we can oversimplify things. And uh, you, you have a very simplified gospel and um, it, it just the real world is a little bit more complex than, than what you expected. You ever um, you get out into a situation and... Uh, I, I've had this happen where we're taught, say, just a, an example, we're, we're taught uh, that, uh, you know, the gospel helps people, and, and it makes people more virtuous people, right? That's a true statement. And it becomes so simplified that you get into a situation where you know someone who, who's not religious at all, and so your expectation, for example, might be that they would not be very virtuous people. Because you've heard this simplified gospel, and, um, and I don't know what to do with this situation. This does not fit my, my expectations of, of, of what I was taught. And all of a sudden you're thrown for a loop because you were taught oversimplified gospel. Uh, and so it's very difficult, and, and the, the, the job of a, a minister is to, to make sure he presents things that can be applied and doesn't oversimplify and, and, and doesn't uh, overcomplicate matters. We're looking at principles of the gospel in this series that, that Christ or, or whoever taught them used uh, metaphors that have to do with Economic principles. I know that's boring, um, but uh, but Jesus used these, and, and and sometimes very deep, complex ones, and sometimes very simplified ones. And and he knew that perfect line to thread. Uh, we don't always know that line to thread, uh, and we're going to be looking at two that are very simple today, very short, very brief. Um, you have a lot to do with practicality. They're not heavy on the theory. Uh, so there'll be no, no graphs or no, no line charts or curves and all that stuff, right? So, so that's good. But they show some of the hard choices and, and the conflicting ideals in the world around us. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're not going to take them in order. There's a one that is a, a little bit more basic, but it happens to be the, the, the second one that I want to uh, establish some, some principles, that one, and then go to the first one. It's in Matthew chapter 13, and in verse 45, beginning. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. He's seeking beautiful pearls. When he has found one pearl of great price, he went and he sold everything he had and he bought it. Pretty simple. The gospel. The kingdom 
And there are two basic points in this. First of all, I want you to notice that this guy's a merchant, right? He is deliberately seeking pearls. He represents people in this world who are seeking something. The second thing that we're going to look at, and this is one of those things that gets oversimplified. And, and, and as a result, people struggle. Christians, I think, sometimes struggle because we don't understand this. I want you to notice that there are other pearls. This man has already found a lot of pearls. It's not so cut and dried. We like things cut and dried. This man doesn't have a, a string of costume jewelry pearls. He has things that have value already. We like it cut and dried. We like there's God and the kingdom and this is the only thing that's valuable and nothing else is valuable. That makes it nice and easy. Boy, if only the choices were that easy. Right? If only the choices in life were, wow, this thing is so awesome and these things have no value whatsoever. That would make all my choices easy. But that's not the reality of the situation. Life is more complex than that. Well, I want to look at some practical application of this. And to do so, I'm going to hold your place there. This week I put a bookmark in it, so I'll, I will be holding my place there. Uh, to Ecclesiastes. And I want to talk about a man with far more pearls <laughs> than I'll ever have. And beginning in chapter 1, in verse 16, Ecclesiastes 1, 16, he says, I communed with my heart, saying, and this is Solomon writing, Look, I have attained greatness. I have gained wisdom more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceived that this is grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases in sorrow. And I said to my heart, Come now, I will test you with mirth, and therefore enjoy pleasure. But this was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it do? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven until the, uh, uh, all the days of their lives. And I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards and I made myself gardens and orchard and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants. I had servants born in my house. I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered for myself silver and gold and treasures of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men and the musical instruments of all kind, and I became great and excelled before all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in my labor, and all this was my reward from my labor. And I looked at the works of my hands done, and on the labor which I had toiled, and indeed it was vanity and grasping for the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Now, if you're thinking I contradicted myself, say, well, Solomon's conclusion was that these things had no value. At the end of it, that's what he concluded. That's true. When compared with that great 
thing that he was searching for, yes, at the end they have no value. But it obviously wasn't plain to him as he's searching. He was this merchant on a deliberate search for something of value. And we see him go through this litany of pursuits in life. And he had the wealth, the means to to pursue some of these things. Some of us are limited to just a few, right? He had the ability to pursue anything he wanted, and so he did. He started with wisdom and went to substance abuse and fun. And he turned to meaningful things like construction, gardening, building his estate, wealth, entertainment, success. And this doesn't even mention his political achievements. Imagine reigning over a time of peace. That's, a, that's an incredible achievement. That's valuable. For 40 years, a time of peace in Jerusalem like I'd never know. Building the temple, that, that's a, a religious accomplishment. Something to point to and say, well, that has substance, that has value. All of these pearls of varying worth. Some, eh, not so much. But in the end, all of these things are still little pearls. The gospel offers several types of significance over these little pearls. And first of all, I want to talk about permanence. All of the things that are in this list and more differ. You, we get out of school. Kids can't wait. We go through the whole year of school, right? Summer vacation. It's utopia. Right? Utopia is coming. It's only whatever the, how many days are we, whatever's left. <sighs> Spring breaks over and it's just like it's, you can see the finish line. 48 hours into it, they're bored to death. Oh, there's nothing to do. What happened? It didn't promise. Oh, it promised, but it didn't deliver. Oh, the pearls promise. But they never deliver. Has no permanence. And this is this is what Solomon's going. Oh, when I build the garden, when the garden is wonderful. Oh, then you get weeds. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, when I build my house, build a brand spanking new house. Go for it. You'll be fixing something within five weeks. No permanence. I went to a funeral um, and um, this, this weekend... And uh, interesting, two things happened within a couple of weeks of each other. One of my professors passed away, and they tore down the boys' dorm where I used to be. 
It's like two, I mean, like that close together. So I showed my kids where I used to live. Yeah. We had great fun times right here on this thing that's been leveled. All those memories are covered in dirt. No permanence. They're memories. Great construction projects. And someone says, I like the land, uh, I just don't need that building. What about that's my house? Mm, has no value to me. Little pearls. No permanence. The gospel is greater in value. Not just because it's more permanent, because there's, there's something, there's more there, there. We talked about a guy, I, I keep doing this to you, and I keep promising him that I'm not. We talked about that guy, Ptolemy, remember that guy? Way a long time ago. A couple weeks ago. Ptolemy the first. After Alexander the Great died. He's down in Egypt. And he wanted to build something to commemorate himself because he was so great. So he built a, well, he didn't build it himself. He commissioned uh, a guy to build a lighthouse for him. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a lighthouse at a place called Pharos, I believe in Alexandria. And uh, it was, it was awesome. Huge. Then he commissioned that he wanted his name inscribed in it so everyone could see, of course, the great Ptolemy. So Sostratus, the guy who built it, the engineer, architect, whatever, did. He covered at the base of it, remember, we're on the ocean, or the sea, Mediterranean Sea, and, and so he covered it in plaster. And he inscribed the name of Ptolemy I, knowing that... Uh, the salt water is going to erode it. Now, Ptolemy and Sostratus died, and sure enough, the, 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 the plaster wore off, and the, the inscription faded and fell into the sea. And underneath in the granite was the inscription of Sostratus to himself. Permanence. Value. And what Sostratus didn't realize was that it wasn't going to take too long for that thing to fall down completely. And he had no permanence either. He wanted to leave something behind. Rich people recognize that money's money, and so they, they set up humanitarian causes and scholarships and things in their name, wanting to leave something behind. And they do things of value because they want value to be associated with them. They want, they want to do more than than just accumulate wealth. So they start looking for pearls because I accumulated the wealth, but it's not doing anything for me. It's not, it didn't give me the feeling that I want. So they want a humanitarian cause will do that. And it does. It, it is beneficial. It affects people physically and it, it, it helps. It's a pearl. There's value there. But not like the gospel. It, it doesn't really fulfill And so people move on and they say, I want something of real purpose. And the gospel achieves more, not just in permanence or in value 
or substance, but also in purpose. We are made up of several parts. We are made up of physical self. We're made up of a, an emotional self and a spiritual self. And all these little pearls that we talk about, they, even the valuable ones that we think are valuable, they either address something physical or something emotional. Honest work. That's a pearl. I've done, I've valued, I, I, I've learned something, a trade, I've learned something, and it's meaningful. It's like, that's substance. You've done something. It's not just wasting your time. And it gives me a sense of fulfillment and accomplishment. But that's emotional. We have entertainment. We have hobbies. And they have pearls, too. They give you a sense of relaxation. And that's healthy emotionally, but it's still emotional. Education. It fills that need that we have for self-improvement, which is emotional. And in doing all these things, we look for these little pearls and we confuse emotional and spiritual, and they are different. The gospel is the only thing that addresses something permanently and spiritually. This is why we get confused when we see people doing things of value. You're not supposed to value. You don't believe the gospel. You're, you, why are you? How can you be moral or virtuous? How can you? How can you be nice? You're not a Christian. Because they're looking for pearls. They found some pearls. They're doing things of value. They just haven't found the big pearl. See, Christ didn't teach that people don't find pearls. He, find, he taught that there's merchants out there going from one thing of value to another thing of value, looking for the big thing of value. And that's what Christ taught. It's a little bit more complex. Don't oversimplify things. I want to go back to that set of parables and look at a simpler one. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And over the joy of it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. And so we have a quick analysis of, the, of this parable. Well, first of all, notice the similarities that both people recognized the value of what they discovered. A lot of people don't. A lot of people come across the gospel and they will not value it. He's just giving a small sample size of the people that do and he's contrasting some of the things in there in those people's lives. It's a, a good lesson. and We'll get to that. And both people in this situation are, are willing to sacrifice everything they have in order to get that. Both recognize that they have to leverage what they have to get what they want. Now we can make too much of this parable, and people do. We, there's a risk always of, of being too clever with parables. Whenever someone starts asking backstory questions, why is the treasure in the field? That, that's not a part of it. 
If Jesus wanted you to know that, he would have told you. I've heard people try to reconcile something here. Is Jesus encouraging us to be dishonest? This man covered the, the, the treasure up, and then that's dishonest. I think there's like, there's probably laws against that. <laughs> so then they have to, because they've assumed that this is an important detail, and maybe it is or not, I don't know, but then they have to justify, why, well, this really wasn't dishonest because Jesus wouldn't have said that they should do this. If, and they go through all this thing because we're making things too complex. It's just a short parable. Sometimes we, we put details in the story. Jesus put details in the story just so it would be a story. I want to look at what's definitely relevant. And that's the discovery of the treasure. Now in the other parable, we noticed that the merchant was searching for something. And this man just kind of come across it. Was he trespassing on somebody else's property? Is that... That's not a point. He just accidentally discovers the gospel of the kingdom. You ever found what you didn't know you were looking for? I had, um, let's see, you can tell the difference between guys and girls with this story. I had uh, lost my wedding ring. And uh, see, life stops if a woman does that, right? Stop, don't move. Don't turn on the garbage disposal. <laughs> like, don't. I lost it. Uh, didn't know where I lost it. I was, we, we had gone to Ukraine. I'm cleaning out my toolbox. I just had some tools that I wanted to bring with me. Uh, and I saw this. It was really dirty and dusty in there. And uh, I saw this shiny thing. What is that? Ah, it's my wedding ring. I made it across the ocean. Holy cow. <laughs> I had taken it off working on a, a job because, you know, electricians, you're supposed to take your rings off. Uh, and it just gotten lost in my toolbox. And I had not been looking for it. Found it. Ah, cool. I lost it again. And sometimes you find what you weren't necessarily looking for. And this man comes across a treasure in a field, and he's like, wow. And he immediately recognizes the value of it. And that is important. But there's an immediate response. And that's what I want to look at. Hiding something sometimes is a natural thing to do. And it, maybe this is an important part of the thing. Maybe this is why he told the story. My, we went to Minnesota, and uh, my, grand, uh, or my wife's mom took her grandkids, my, my, my youngest and uh, his cousin, Liam, to a thrift store. That's what grandma does. She's a thrift store-aholic. And, uh, and so they went, and, and Liam wanted something. I forget what it was. I don't know why they didn't get it right there on the spot, because grandma, you know. But they had, I don't know if he, I don't even remember the, the whole backstory, but she hid it in a washing machine because she, she thought at the thrift store, no one's going to get the washing machine before we come back. No, probably no one's going to look there. She wanted, right? This is just what people do. Maybe this is all the reason that this is in the, because this, 
people track with this. I want this, but I can't have it now. I'm going to hide it so I can come back and get it. It was still there. Liam got his toy. You know, there are interesting things like this in the, in the New Testament. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. I, I, I want this, but I, I'm not. I want to hide it a little bit. Right? Joseph of Arimathea, same thing. He was a disciple, but he didn't really want to be too vocal about it. It might upset the other people on the council who don't like Jesus so much. Don't want to make an enemy. And so some people kind of hide it a little bit. Whatever the case, the gospel has been lost in our society. And sometimes the field has gotten a little overgrown. What's this treasure doing out there? Don't know, but it's there. And sometimes that's, that's the reality in this field that we call the world. The gospel's just kind of, it's like my neighbor when we first got married. He never mowed his lawn. Um, and then he'd get out there after it was about this high. My neighbor discovered a doghouse. We discovered, I'm looking up the, I, w- I would, you know, I was bored. I would look out my window and watch him mow his lawn, which was kind of like, he'd start it up and die. And he would mow his lawn in like increments of this, this far. You know, after about a half an hour, he'd get about a good stripe, and, and he was done for the day. And that, would, that was, he took about a whole summer to, to mow his lawn once. You know, and he was going one day, and I'm like, I didn't know the neighbors had a doghouse. It just, things get overgrown. It gets neglected by the church, who are supposed to be the caretakers of the gospel. Sometimes there are other attractive things, like we talk about these other pearls. There are other attractive treasures, and and people have gotten sidetracked with those, be they valuable or not valuable. Sometimes there's other philosophies. There's so many different ideas about truth and what's this and that. And and people don't know and have a difficult time sometimes. And misplace the valuable treasure. Sometimes people come across it and they recognize the value of the most important thing. This message is the only message of genuine, lasting substance in the world. I want to ask you if you've wavered in your pearls. You mean I have to give up my job? That's valuable. Do I have to give up my education? Do I have, I've got lots of pearls that I, I consider valuable. Do I have to give those up? Do I have to get rid of it? In a sense, you have to leverage those things for the gospel. Does my education require me to contradict biblical doctrine? Yes, you have to give it up. There's no no competing. You can't hold on to two pearls. 
I can live without an education. Do I have to sacrifice my integrity for what I call fun? Then I can live without fun. I might have to leverage my fun to get the most important pearl. Does my career require me to sacrifice core principles? Does my career require me to sacrifice the daily remembrance of Christ's death? Then I can live without a career. I can find another one. Yes. I have to give up that pearl. It's not an easy gospel. A man with lots of pearls. He's, he spent his whole life accumulating these pearls. that they, they have some value. How much time and effort and energy have I... I've, I've traveled the world for these pearls. I've, I've looked at all these pearls. And I've, I've gone over them. And they're valuable. I've accumulated them. This is not the easy choice. The gospel isn't that simple. It's hard. And it's composed of hard choices. But God says you can't have this one. And hold on to those. Not when they compete. Not when the cost of one is hindered by the cost of the others. And the message is really about investment. How invested am I? I don't do certain kinds of illustrations because I don't like how they come across, but in the end, I only have my own experience to draw on. I've been more than willing to share the um, less than stellar moments in my life. And this is a slightly different illustration. In 2004, I was invited to become a missionary. Um, it was in the early spring. And uh, it was kind of a tight window. Um, they needed a preacher. It was in Ukraine. And uh, it says, try to arrange a time to come over and, and visit with the church. See if you like them. See if they like you. That will give you time to get back and, and kind of wrap up your affairs there. Uh, that would be kind of getting into the end of summer and, and put together a tour, a fundraising tour. And uh, so that was, we were going to, we would end up, if, if, if that all worked out, then we would start in, in like September or so and, and kind of travel around to a bunch of churches and try to generate enough support for us to move over. But it was all contingent on whether this church was even going to want me. And if I was going to get over there and go, yeah, I don't know about this situation. So there was like no guarantees about anything at any step. My job, where I was in a, a working as an electrician, we had just started uh, a, like a month earlier on a huge Walgreens project. And there was like three or four of us electricians. Walgreens are bigger than they look. And there's a lot of electrical work. And we were already behind on the contract and getting docked every day on the contract. And so when I went into 
uh, small contractor and talked to the owner of the, I said, I need three weeks. <laughs> I asked for three weeks off. He laughed. Only not really. He's like, no, you can't go. I'm already getting docked on my contract. We're already overextended. I was kind of asking, not asking. He's like, if you go, you don't have a job when you come back. Now, what happens if I go over there, I don't have a job when I come back? I had a wife, and I had a one-year-old child. And I'm going to come back. And the economy wasn't exactly booming in 2004. I was already getting paid. The most I ever got paid in my life for a job was $10 an hour. That was that job. That's not great. So I did it. And I knew I was letting down uh, some people. And most of all, I was letting down a guy by the name of Gary Beam, who was my the master electrician. I, I worked under his license. We'd had a lot of conversations. And he was an agnostic guy. Why do good things, bad things happen to good people? One of those guys. I came back, actually Gary Beam, I lost my job. I walked in, tried to get it back, and they said no. No, thank you. Gary Beam actually had a, a side job for me, and that kind of gave us some, enough money until we went on our fundraising tour. Several years later, I came back and walked into the church building in Rutland, Vermont, and Gary Beam was standing there. I didn't teach him the gospel. He was longtime friends with the, the minister there. They were, had both been electricians and knew each other in a small town for years. Somehow they got talking and he became a Christian. That was, that's not really something I did. I went back to Ukraine, but it was cool. Went back to Ukraine, came back for another one of our children who was being born and probably think Julian. And I visited Gary Beam in the hospital. I had terminal cancer. And um, Gary said, you know, it was Richard who had taught him the gospel. But the fact that I didn't hesitate, one of the things he talked about was the fact that I didn't hesitate. We had had religious conversations, and they had just been religious conversations, but when I when I dropped it, because of what I believed, that was an impact for when he was taught the gospel. He drew on that. Ah, it's like, like Paul says, you know, some, some water, some plant, God gives the increase. I don't say that to say how great I was or whatever. I had a very, very limited role in whatever that was. Is what I want to leave with. There are people that are searching. Some people are searching. And you need to be there for those people and, and be open with those people. And you need, we need to be the merchant on the other. Merchants only deal with other merchants. Right? A merchant looking for pearls needs a merchant who's selling a big pearl. We've got a big pearl. 
If I'm not out there selling my big pearl, then no merchant's going to find it. There are people out there in your path that are looking for those pearls, and you will recognize them by, by the things that they're trying to fill their life with. And you hear them at work talking about their cool projects, and you hear them talking about whatever they're talking about, and they're interested in all these things. And then they'll be complaining about things that aren't going right. And they tried this, and this isn't working. And the, my having this problem, those are all pearls. They're having problems with their pearls. And this is the opportunity for you to say, I've got a big, big, big pearl. Some commerce needs to take place. Some investment. But not everybody's out there looking for pearls. And so, Jesus says, just leave it laying around somewhere. And maybe, hopefully, someone will trip over it. That was Gary Bean. Gary Bean tripped over it. Because even though I thought I was doing him harm, I thought I was doing him harm by going over there. And he tripped over some treasure I left. Leave your treasure. Hang it around in public. Be an example. Do something for people to trip over your treasure.